Thank you for joining us today. My name is Maccabee Griffin. And I'm Marcella. And this is Beyond the Pen, where we take the well-known adage, read between the lines to a whole new level and beyond. Each week we sit down with a new author to not only discuss one of their books, but also learn the story behind the story. Hello, Marcella. Hey, Mac. It's been a while. It's been a while. Who sang that? <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah. I can't remember who it was. How about, uh, how about this? Welcome back. <laughs> you're starting to show your age again, Marcella. I swear you're going to get throat punched. <laughs> yeah. We did this live uh, yesterday on Instagram and people are loving it too. So we gotta, we've been gone for two months. And for those that have been with us during those two months of quiet time, Thank you for those who are returning. Thank you for those that are joining us for the first time. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's a, there's a, yeah. Anyways, today is going to be an interesting day because I actually was introduced to this person through some colleagues of ours by the name of the Huffers. By the way, hi, Huffers, or hey, Huffers, I should say. Huffers. Huffers. H-E-F-F-E-R-S. I heard heifers. Not heifers, huffers. Don't get me in trouble here, okay? You I've known these people with that. Here we go again. All right. We, we're back. Hey, <laughs> we're back. Yep. We know y'all missed this banter between me and her. Anyways, Absolutely. this gentleman has written a series of books that is really changing the Christian fiction genre. I mean, forever he's got an entirely different viewpoint on this stuff the first book in his series is called a story told and it takes us on a journey through heaven hell and limbo with death as our guide while also making us look at the darker side of humanity internally and externally and we'll discuss everything from faith and fantasy to mental health and racism and a whole lot more so are you ready, Marcella? I'm always ready. That's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> Anyways, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, the ferryman himself, Mr. Chris Leparco. Chris, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. And what the introduction. I did not expect <laughs> that. Thank you. <laughs> well, that's usually what happens, you know. But uh, please introduce yourself to our audience and just Tell us a little bit about yourself, but most importantly, something we can't find on the internet about you. All right. Well, I'm Chris Leparco. I've authored the A Story Told series. Right now, it's three novels and an online series called Manor Machine, which bridges the first, the second book, and the third book. What you might not know about me, so my background is actually in illustration and cartooning which is what got me into writing as well. I originally wanted to do comic books, but found myself having more time to pen novels and do spot illustrations and things like that. So I actually do all my own artwork as well as write the stories. My faith is probably the most important part of my life. And following faith is obviously my children, you know, and uh, just, I have a very close relationship with God. And when I was starting the series, I wanted to create a fantasy fiction series where God was the center of it. 
because there are so many stories about Greek mythology and Egyptian mythology, Norse mythology and all that stuff. And I said, well, what if I did the same thing, but it was about the true faith or about the true God, you know, and it had Christian, you know, for lack of better word, mythology or religion as the center of it. And, and, you know, angels, demons, Satan, you know, and all that kind of mixed in. And so that's kind of what led me to go that route and started the whole series. Hope that was uh, sufficient. <laughs> oh, definitely. Definitely. And, and I'm glad you talked about the other mythological characters and tales as well, because I'm going to get to that a little bit later with you, because I got a <laughs> bone to pick with you on something. No, I'm just uh-huh. kidding. We uh, only have so much time, Mac. That's true. Yeah. We can talk offline about everything else. Anyways. So let's let's talk about the symbolisms expressed through the entire book, because let's face it, there are a lot more specifically the first three chapters. Okay, so between the roles of death and Radix and their story, the three boys and how they died and everything and everyone in chapter three, more specifically, and we're going to talk about this gentleman too, Stan. What was the purpose of each one of these and how impactful was your faith in the narrative as you wrote it? Wow. So you just, you just unpacked a lot. A lot does happen in the first three chapters of the book and then even beyond. But yeah, so I wanted to have a character outside of the main hero, which you find out later is Nathan or Nathaniel Salvatore. And I wanted to have another character that kind of almost plays a pseudo narrator uh, narrator, or just like kind of ties in all the stories and that's death. And so I, I was trying to figure out how do I depict death as a character without having feelings or emotions yet somehow still having those things, even though he says he doesn't, because obviously you could see from his narration and, and the way he speaks that he is concerned about certain things. And so that was the first thing I decided to create was that character. And as you read the three novels, you'll see how he ties into everybody else's life. And he's kind of outside of heaven, outside of hell. He's not, you know, he's not on God's side. He's not on the devil's side. And so he's somewhere in the middle. And and I kind of needed a character like that because we're all kind of a little like that. You know, I mean, whether we believe or not, you know, we're not perfect and we have our own imperfections and we kind of lie in that place between heaven and hell. And so I thought it was nice having that. As far as the boys go and Lyles, who actually is the one that's probably the more of the main focus there. It's I grew up in the New York City area. I went to school of visual arts, which is in Manhattan, you know, and so I just wanted to capture that New York life. I wanted to capture the diversity. Also, I didn't grow up with a lot of money. I grew up, you know, very meager means and things like that. And I wanted to capture that lifestyle too. I wanted to have the characters be very real and, and things that were going on during the time. The book, the first book takes place in the year 2000. And so it's a little bit different than New York City is right now. And I really wanted to capture Harlem during that time and a few other places too, and and people from there and how things really were. And so that's where that goes. Stan, I just really wanted to, you know, I've always been fascinated by, you know, unsolved mysteries, serial killer stories, all these kind of things. Watched a lot of horror movies growing up. And so that was just me 
you know, having fun with that, which is also where Rad Dicks comes from. Just my love for uh, thrillers and horror films and just that serial killer kind of a villain, but yet with a supernatural twist. So I have a, I have a question. And yeah. this is like, it's blowing my mind because this is reminiscent of another guest we had not too long ago. So are there any characters based on you? <laughs> I feel like in a way, all the characters have a piece of me, yet they're not me at the same time. Because the way that I write is I create characters first. And I learned that from a very, very good friend of mine, Lewis Mitchell, who taught me and a lot of my friends when we were, you know, both at School of Visual Arts and beyond, that all stories start with the characters. And so before I write any story, I create the characters first. And they all start with a little piece of me because I'm, I'm writing them, right? But then they evolve and become their own people. And then I actually start seeing what, what would that character do? You know, asking that question and, you know, what would their reaction be? So centrally, if you want to look at it, probably Nathan is the closest to me as far as, you know, his description of how he looks, you know, he's five foot six. He's Italian-American. He's from New York. He grew up in, you know, a small town right outside of the city, which I did. It's very reminiscent of myself. But there is a little bit of me, I hate to say this, inside of Rad Dicks. And there's a little bit of me inside of Death as well. So, you know. And, and you know, that's the best thing about when you're writing and Marcella and I definitely know this because we're starting our own little projects as well. And we talked about yesterday on the Instagram live that we did. So if you do, if you want to hear more about that, go on our Instagram at Beyond the Pen podcast. And we've got that live up and it's definitely an interesting one. But I really I wanted to start with death really quick because there was a lot of things that were interesting on how you wrote death. And here's why. When we first meet Death, he describes his life or the lack thereof and how it feels like we're going through at least the first four stages of grief. First, he denies he's denied a life of his own, which makes him feel depressed and alone. He's angry with being refused to get help from God and Satan, but mostly that he's this one soul is refusing to die, you know? And then of course the entire thing with, like I said, with God, Satan and the angels fallen and not to get help. And finally he's willing to bargain in some way, shape or form to remove this villain Radix from the mortal world. How close was, or have you had any of these conversations in the book to your talks with God? Oh, wow. That is quite the deep question. So yeah, so growing up, I definitely have had very similar conversations with the Lord. And and it's because I went through a lot of things in my life. And even, even not just when I was younger, but even more recently with a lot of personal things. You know, I, I, don't, I don't usually get too deep on what's going on in my life, but I'm obviously a single father. I went through a lot of things that got me to where I am with my children and in our current situation. And 
I have questioned God many times in my life, like, why? Why is all this happening to me? Why am I going through this? You know, I try to be faithful. I read scripture every day. I pray all the time. I help people as often as I can. But we all go through things and, you know, and we don't understand why. And honestly, God does not mind us questioning those things. He, he actually asks us to bring those things before his throne and to ask him questions like that. And he answers us. And, you know, I, I, I've read through scripture and I just see that, you know, all those things make us stronger, all those things that we go through. And, and death is learning that, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting with the character of death as you would think he's been around for so long that he would have this figured out by now. But I want to show people that no matter how long your journey is, you really don't ever have it hundred percent figured out. You're always going to learn something new or still question things, no matter how far you are. So thousands of years have gone by and he's been dealing with the same situations yet in the year 2000, which, you know, he's still asking God why. And he's still at this point going to the, you know, to the devil when Radix has been killing people since first century AD. And so it's just to show people that in our own lives, we're like that. You know, we don't have things figured out and we probably never will. And so I wanted to just put that out there. And I'm really glad that you said that because I'm going to tell you right now, the the first time that he has a conversation with God, I loved it. I was like, there are so many ways that I was going to say that too. And I've probably said that. But here's the other thing with that and following up with that is that there are so many points within any of the conversations that he's had and any of the dealings of finding himself, dealing with depression, dealing with anxiety, dealing with anger. The fact that I remember one of the lines, and don't quote me on this, but it was the fact that I remember when he was at, at the beginning where he was always wanting somebody to actually just see him for at least one second. Yeah. Because of the fact that Anytime that he, you know, turn when he's going to grab a soul and deliver it, he's always at a moment where he turns around and immortal is coming his way, arms out, crying or whatever the case may be. And he, for that split second, he always thinks it's they finally found me. They finally see me. Then he realizes, oh, no, it's just the corpse behind me. And it's a really big part of that in in a lot of our lives there's a lot of times where we really feel like no one is really seeing us and that's why one of the, that was one of the other reasons why it was pushing me towards the the five stages of grief in a way because even at that time we're like no one's hearing me no one's seeing me and it's just and it even makes it even worse for a lot of people and that leads me into my second part of this in chapter two we're brought back to the reality with the very real interactions and events happening daily in Black communities worldwide, more specifically, young men and women dealing out their own version of justice and the lack of trust in the police. And of course, the racism within the police departments that have been fanning the violence for decades. But you also touch on child runaways homelessness, and the things they go through daily to survive. Why did you feel like you needed to address these topics within the narrative itself? Because growing up, those are all topics that were very close to me. Like I said, growing up in a New York 
city area, these things happen every day, you know, and I saw since I was a child racism and I've seen, you know, people that are very near and dear to me and my family be treated this way. And I've also have had friends that have had problems where they've had to run away from home or have tried to seek refuge or didn't know where to go. And, and it's just, I felt like it was important to show people that this is real. These are things that happen. These are things that people deal with and that these are problems we need to start looking at and, and, and finding better solutions. I also want to show people that maybe sometimes all of our problems don't get resolved. And that's another reality of life. Because another thing I show throughout the whole books is, yeah, good wins in the end, but it doesn't mean all conflict is resolved. And it's kind of how life is going to be. No matter where you fall on the spectrum of belief, no matter how strong your faith is in God, bad things are going to happen and we're going to have to deal with it. And we don't, don't always get that happy ending. And I wanted that reality to be shown because in my personal belief, it's because this world is finite. This world's going to come to an end, but there's something more after this. And that's the main focus. It's not about the conflict being resolved here and now, but that one day the conflict is going to be resolved and, you know, in the future. Chris, how much feedback, criticism, flack have you received for writing something with a religious base or plot? I haven't received much criticism for doing it. It has closed a lot of doors for me with mainstream publishers and things like that. When I first was trying to publish the book before I self-published it, I was trying to publish it in mainstream publishers. I had an agent and the agent told me, everybody likes the book. Their problem is it's too pretty. I even had someone from one of the TV studios that was looking at it because this was when I first wrote, it was like around the time when like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Supernatural and like all those shows were just getting up and running and they were doing really well. And they were like, if you could make it more like that and less about Jesus or less about God, then you might actually have a home run here. And I said, I can't take that out. I can't take that aspect out because I feel like this is my, this is a part of my mission in life is to write these stories and keep it about that. The whole point of it was to have the stories revolve around that, you know, that God-centeredness and that it's, it's my fantasy world. Yes, it's, it's, not a, it's a fiction story, but it still takes place in the universe that I believe in where God is in control, where Jesus Christ did live and, and died for people's sins, where there is a devil that we battle against every day. And there are angels and demons and things like that. And so, so it did stop me from getting, you know, into that world, but then simultaneously, because the book is not very hunky dory or not very like mainstream Christian stories usually are. And it's definitely not for kids. As you can see, the first question people ask, is it for children? I'm like, no, no, like, well, but it's Christian. It should, and I'm like, just because it's Christian doesn't mean it's for kids. No, trust me, especially when you get into chapter two. Don't yeah. know. Yeah, no. yeah. But that has stopped me from getting published by Christian publishers. So therefore, I decided to self-publish for those reasons. But I've never had anybody, any kind of hate speech or any like, you know, anything like that because of it. And really, it's really interesting the fact that this is on a lot of different 
basis when it comes to publishing and people not being picked up. Oh, it's great. If you just take this one little thing out, it'll work for everybody. And it's like, yeah, but then it doesn't work for me. And that's the problem is that so many people are willing to take themselves out or take something else out of their book that made it special to them. But I'm, I, when I say that, when it comes to chapter two, there are certain things in chapter two that are definitely more towards the adults in terms of the context. There's nothing bad in terms of language or anything like that or descriptions, although there is that one scene, but we won't get into that. But it is, but there's a lot of symbolism. And that's the thing with it is that once you start to remove one thing, it starts to remove the rest of the symbolism for other things as well. And it can be a problem. And that's, I'm so glad that you're actually sticking to your guns with that. And not many people will do that. But let's let's go back to the book in terms of some of the other things that you started to really push into, into the narrative itself. First off, chapter three in general, I got so many versions of like Dante's Inferno to meet Joe Black to, to a few other things just because of certain characteristics from them. But I also want to ask you one thing. Who hurt you? <laughs> Who seriously hurt you when when you created chapter three alone? Wow, I, I don't know if I if I wanted to unpack all that. <laughs> I have a very good relationship with my dad now. Growing up, I did not have the best relationship with him. And I think a lot of that definitely, you know, probably is what you're saying. I also have had other people hurt me in life. And once again, I don't want to defame anyone. I don't want to say anything bad, but yes, no. I, I have dealt with both physical and emotional, mental abuse in my lifetime. And I've had to deal with that a lot. And, and that, that probably also plays into my relationship with God, because in, in my personal experiences, encounters with him have always been with love and affection and, you know, there to rescue me from that pain that I had to go through. You know, I, I was always the shortest kid in the class. I was always picked on a lot. And because of that bullying came and I, I had to learn how to fight from a young age and, and it, it caused me to go down a path of violence growing up and, and dealing with that. And I think a lot of that just really, definitely shaped me. And when I was writing this, I think I was probably at the peak of a lot of that, you know? Well, here's the other aspect of it. And, and, you know, the main, the reason why I'm saying this and, and yeah. it's definitely not to try to pull trauma out or anything like yeah, that yeah, yeah. from you. Well, but it's also, I want to cut in here just for a second, Matt, because okay, you're talking yeah, a lot again. Okay. I want to know how much of this was cathartic for you. All the writing was it? Was there some sort of catharsis afterwards or during? I don't know how to answer that, but that, that that's a, that's a good question. Nobody's ever asked me that, and I, I actually don't know how to answer that. I, I'm sure there was some. I just I'm really not quite sure how to answer that question. I'm sorry, Marcella. 
No, that's good because is there another way? Maybe I don't know. (laughs) Well, here's the thing: it's like there's a like I said, there's a lot of things when it comes to dealing with trauma. We've all, literally, all three of us have dealt with some type of trauma in our lives. Some of us a little bit more physical than the other, but it is the other aspect of the reason why we ask these questions, especially when Marcella asks these personal questions, is because we're trying to also let other people know that they are not alone, that they are also people that have great stories within them that can change their viewpoints and help them to really get better with their writing, with their reading, with their feelings in general. We've had guests on our show that have taken their pain specifically and put it into books. There's at least four or five people I can think of off the top of my head from season one that did that. And that's literally all their book is. But with you and like some other people I that we've had on, you're taking something and you're depicting it in a very specific way. And, and, there, and some people are going to ask, why did you ask that question of like, who hurt you so much? Well, it wasn't supposed to be funny. No, it did in a certain way. It's great. But there was a specific reason why. Is because when you start to look at the depiction of the ever-changing environment, the Black Crystal Gate, even, and here's where I get to this, Poseidon's fish in the River Styx. You know, by the way, Chef's Spoilers, and I don't have the book, Mac. You're not being fair. Ha ha. Anyways, he'll get there. But again, there are certain things in there, but it's the interactions with death that I had questions about one in particular, but we'll get to him in a minute. The fallen angels were all written and I could see every bit of them in both their original form as angels of heaven. And of course, then the perverted form when they fell down. But now And these are things that were really interesting on how you depicted them and how you made death interact with them. But there's one that really, and this is the one where Stan comes into play because this threw me for a loop. And I'm not going to give all the things with Stan out there because (laughs) there's a lot there, but it goes back to what you were saying about the unsolved mysteries and the psychological criminal mind stuff. Because in this case, a mortal, a psychotic mortal who made a deal with the devil was put in charge of torturing other murderers. But most importantly, it was the mental and emotional torture that was inflicted on him for all eternity. What gave you that perspective of, okay, you know, the devil gave him exactly what he said. He just didn't tell him how it was going to come out in the end. And then all of a sudden, instead of him being tortured, he's torturing. And then all of a sudden, you you tell the story of that, please. Explain to me your thought process on that part alone, because that was really intriguing. Okay. So what I wanted to do is unpack a few different things. And one is that, you know, when you make a deal with the devil... And sometimes we don't know that we do, but we do. You don't really get quite what you bargained for. You think you're going to get something, but 
his lies are so deceptive, so sneaky that it's just a nuance of, of what he says or how he says it. He adds a word or he adds a twist. And, and, and I want people to see this because in real life, we do that. Even Christians, no matter where you fall, we kind of all make those deals with the devil without knowing that we do, you know? And it's just to show people that there's always more than you bargain for. And, and even after he goes to hell, he thinks he's like in charge of this station of the, watching these other people get physical torture. But like you said, his mental torture, his, his emotional torture is so much worse than theirs because, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil too much of the book because I'm hoping people will go by and check it out. But what he has to witness each and every day while he's at his station is probably a lot worse than what those people are physically facing. And the reason why I did that was, and, and it kind of goes back to the other questions you were asking and things like that is I have gone through a lot of that emotional and I've been through physical, you know, when we get hit, we heal, we get better, but the emotional torture, the more emotional torment doesn't go away. Even now, years later, I still have repercussions from emotional damage that's been done to me over the years. And, and so I wanted to show how much worse emotional and psychological damage is to people than physical damage and physical torture, you know? And, and I wanted to relay that, that the worst parts of hell are not necessarily being tortured physically, but just the psychological and emotional torture of what happens and, and outside of hell, but just even here on earth, you know, that it affects people and it affects them forever. And it really doesn't go away. And, and like you were saying, yes, I wanted people to know that I've been through stuff and I wanted to, to help people understand that, you know, you're not alone, that everybody's going through stuff in life. We all do. And we're probably not going to get over it hundred percent, but, but we can do this together. Like we can, there are ways out. I mean, at least ways to get to a better place. And I have worked out a lot of my own frustrations and things like that in my writing. You know, it, it definitely has helped me out a lot as I write stuff and working it out on paper that I work it out in my own head and in my own heart. And it does alleviate it a little bit. But it is kind of always there. That that's a there's there's so much there, and we thank you for especially being willing to express that again to people. So at this time, you know, I've run out of my my hook involved into this book. So now it's time for Marcella to get her hooks in, which is not really a good thing. Anyways, you know what I'm talking about. I think so I Marcella, did. yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> It's, I, we're trying to get back into this. Okay. Stop judging me. I ask all the hard questions. She does. Uh, really I do. Does. <laughs> I get the easier part of the job. I don't read the books. That's why. Mostly because Mac doesn't have them send them to me. So, yeah. So, first question Is there a quote or a person that keeps you inspired to keep doing what you're doing? I was actually thinking about this. I've been thinking about this a lot because I've had so many influences and I, I have to go with something from scripture. I just have to, because just 
God's just been the center of my life and and everything that I've done has been revolved around him. And so I actually do want to go to one verse from 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, when Paul's talking about having a thorn in his flesh being removed. And he talks about how he pleaded to the Lord three times. And, and Christ's answer to him was, my grace is sufficient for you. For strength is made perfect in weakness. And and it, Paul goes on to talk about after that, about how in all these weaknesses, that's where he finds strength. And that's kind of been my life. And that's kind of been what I've experienced in my weakness, in my flesh, in being hurt. That's where I have found my true strength. And if you look at the characters in the story and in the subsequent stories that follow this, it's all about finding that strength amidst the pain, amidst what they've went through. Everybody, all the heroes in my stories have gone through some kind of traumatic experience that have led them to where they are. Maybe that comes from me reading all the Greek mythology growing up and, you know, the stories of the Odyssey and things like that. But they find strength in that. And then the main place they find strength, though, is in the Lord. And, and, and that's a huge thing in my story. The main purpose of these stories that I wrote was to show people that God is our strength. And that if you look, there's only two ways people get powers in my stories. The heroes get powers from God and the villains get power from the devil. And you can only either choose to get your power from evil or from goodness. And so just... That verse means a lot to me because it shows that it's not in power, it's not in might that we get this strength from, but it's from those pains, it's from that hurt. And then we get our strength from God. And so I just, I love that. And it just means so much to me. That was really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So my next question is, what is your writing kryptonite? All right. My writing kryptonite, and I pretty sure other people have said this before, but it is all the other things in life that get in the way of me being able to write more things. And the main reason is this has never been my nine to five writing. It's always had to be my side hustle because I have kids. I have, I have a family. I got to put food on the table. I got to have a roof over my head. I've always had to have a, a very busy nine to five job. And that keeps me very busy and away from writing more stories. So the third book that I wrote recently and published last year ended the first arc of my series, but I have three arcs planned. So there's still two more to go. And I've been, you know, starting to work on the second arc, but I haven't been able to put pen to paper yet because just so many other things in life, whether it's taking care of my children, whether it's doing my nine to five job, just other responsibilities, they they get in the way sometimes. But I know because I put those other books together that I will be able to get the next ones done. I just, you know, just have to find the time and, and put the time in and I'm willing and ready to do that as the Lord leads. So so you, you answered my third question already too. <laughs> oh, what was that? It was what's next for you. What's next for me? The next step is, yes, working on arc two of the story. So the first arc basically takes place in the present day. Obviously, the year 2000 is not the present day anymore, but when I wrote it, it was. So it's it, it takes place in the present day. 
The second arc is going to dive a little bit more into the past. And it's going to start going further and further back in time until we get, and I've shared this with my audience before, so it's nothing that nobody has heard before, but it's going to take us back to the beginning and really unpack how things got as messed up as they are now. But while I'm doing that, I'm also going to further the story in the present as well, because all of it is going to lead to the the third and final arc, which will be based off of Revelation. See, and here I thought we were going to get like an inside scoop on something, but you know, I'll still take it anyways. Chris, thank <laughs> you for being on the show. We really appreciate you. Please tell us where everybody can find a story told and where they can find you online. The best thing to do is to go to my website, astorytoldbook.com. On there, there are links to all my social media, Instagram, Facebook, even LinkedIn. There's YouTube, but the only thing on there are the trailers for the books. But if you go to storytoldbook.com, it also has links to the Amazon pages where you can purchase the books. And it has Manor Machine, which is a free online series that you can read that bridges the second book, which is in his name, and the third book of his might. Also, if anyone is in Minnesota in the St. Paul, Minneapolis area. I'm going to be in Maplewood, Minnesota on July 30th, Saturday, July 30th, at the first ever God Comics and Gaming Convention, which I'm super excited about and and looking for a good showing there. So if you are in that area, I would love to see you there. Please come by my booth. I will have a book that I'm going to be signing and selling at a discounted price, actually as well as some t-shirts that I designed specifically for the convention. So super excited about that. So please come by and see me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you. All right, Marcella, final thoughts. What do you think? Well, you know, Chris and I had a mini chat prior to recording and, you know, even if you found him, he's still one of mine. Grew up in the same area, worked for the same companies, grew up in the shoe industry. I mean, this is, it's intense. And and he's, he's, uh, I haven't read the books yet, Mac. I don't have a book to reference. So I'm going to have to get back to you on that. But I think that Chris is a great guy and I'm so eager. I'm really eager to dive in. And, you know, I, I love to read, but, you know, I pick and choose very carefully what I like. Yeah, I know. And, and there's a reason why I got to them this time before you. Oh, so, you're such a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you did it the entire first season. So I'm, I'm taking my chances now. Okay. Uh-oh. Anyway, horrible. I know. Now in regards to the book, the, the book is fantastic. The descriptions are not overdone. They are well it's like a movie. It is sincerely a movie. The characters you automatically connect with. I loved it. I really did. I'm still working on it. I'm I'm not giving up on this one. And here's the other thing. I'm definitely looking forward to getting the second and the third one, because I definitely want to see where this goes, especially since you told me that death is not the actual hero of the show, but you know what? We'll do it anyways. Anyways, Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here for our first episode of season two. We appreciate it. Please continue to keep supporting us. 
go to Apple Podcast and just blow it up with the sharing, the follow-ups, the reviews, everything. Because again, the more that you guys help us out with this, the more it helps our authors. Because again, we're not the stars of the show, no matter what Marcella thinks she is, but she's not. I'll let you believe that for now. There's the ego again. Anyways, the authors are these superheroes, these these super storytellers, and we want everybody to be able to have a chance to interact with them, to be able to do so many things. And depending on you guys, you know, maybe three, six months from now, we'll have Chris back on again. And maybe because we have a Patreon account, we haven't put anything on there yet, but we have access to it. Maybe one of these times, if you guys keep telling us to bring these authors back, and have a Q&A with them, I'm sure Chris would be willing to put up at least three books signed and sealed and delivered to you directly. So please, by all means, continue to follow us, continue to help us get up in those ranks, because the more you guys get us, the more that these authors have a chance to do so many great things with their lives and helping people to inspire them, to help them even just feel like they're not alone. So thank you again. We love you so much. And remember, keep writing, keep inspiring, and keep sharing as you go beyond the pen. Hey folks, that's a wrap for this episode of Beyond the Pen. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed creating it. If you'd like to stay connected and up to date with everything Beyond the Pen, follow us on Twitter at Beyond the Pen Pod and Instagram at Beyond the Pen Podcast. For even more content and exclusive access to our guest profiles and more, make sure to visit our website at beyondthepenpodcast.com. Don't forget to join our Facebook fan page to interact with our favorite authors and fellow fans of the show. And if you want to take your Beyond the Pen experience to the next level, check out our selection of video interviews on Traverse TV's video on demand and live stream. You can access these interviews through your Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, Google Play, iTunes, or the Traverse TV app. So until next time, thanks again for tuning in and remember to keep writing inspiring and sharing as you go beyond the pen.